Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Good morning. Indeed, today is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. It is Monday, the 18th of November. Uh, Where in the word are you today? I mean, I realize that you can look around and you can answer the where in the world question. Uh, And yes, I get the question a lot. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Um, And so the where in the world question um, is a good question to answer, right? Uh, You know, but your social location, also a good conversation to have with others. Um, sort of that growing awareness that we have of all of the wonderful privileges and advantages that we enjoy, um, but also recognizing that with all of that comes great responsibility. Um, but where in the Word are you today? Have you been in the Word this weekend? Is the Word of God um, soaking into your life in in ways that are transforming your feelings and your thoughts and your actions, your affect, the way you're treating other people. Okay, so uh, this this weekend, I've been in the Word a lot because of uh, various and sundry opportunities. And so uh, I've been in the Gospel of Mark this weekend, particularly in uh, the portion of the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is spending these hours in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you want to understand... Um, the depth of the love of God for you. Get get into the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. That that is love. That is love, and that is and it's grace understood as the place where um, justice and um, and love. I mean, God who is perfectly holy, perfectly just, but God who is also love. Um, is demonstrated in a way that the world literally cannot understand. What happens in the Garden of Gethsemane is something that the world cannot understand. It is a pivot point. I mean, without the Garden of Gethsemane, it is hard to imagine that we have the cross or our understanding of it in terms of Jesus going to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves in terms of um, a substitutionary atonement for sin. So uh, I've been in the Garden of Gethsemane in the Gospel of Mark. I've also been in Daniel chapter 2. We are reading through the book of Daniel with uh, with Matthew. And um, Daniel is a character about whom Matthew knows a lot, but he does not necessarily know these early stories from the book of Daniel. He knows the lion's den story, you know, right? I mean, he knows the fiery furnace story. He doesn't necessarily know how the story develops. And so we've been in, in the book of Daniel in the very beginning and talking about what it looks like for Daniel, who is very young, probably 14-ish, 15-ish at the time, to be uh, taken from the only place he's ever known, um, from from his home and his people, from his parents, and for the faith that lives in him at that point to be a faith that then lives um, through multiple uh, foreign governments. And, I mean, he is, he figures largely in 
in three kingdoms beyond that of Israel where he is born. And this is the beginning of that story. And so I've been in Daniel chapter 1 and then in chapter 2 and this visions and dreams and how it is that we seek and trust God and how we retain our identity even when the powers that be seek to strip us of it. Like get in the book of Daniel if you just need a reminder of what it looks like to live as a godly person even when all of the things that the world is counting um, are counted against you because of uh, literally the powers that be of the day. Um, and then I've been in Malachi because that is the, that's the book that we are, uh, my pastor is preaching through. And so I want to, uh, I, you may not have even read Malachi recently, right? It's one of the minor prophets, the last book in the Old Testament. Um, and, and the minor prophets are only minor because they're short. Let's be mindful of that. They're not minor because they play minor notes. Uh, they're minor because they're short. And so Malachi is a short book. Um, in verse 2, God affirms reality. This is chapter 1, verse 2 of Malachi. And I, I want to encourage you to consider this today. God affirms reality. God says, I have loved you. That could be the beginning and the end of a conversation today. God affirms reality when God says, I have loved you. Now, God's own people like scoff in their hearts, uh, and, and the response is uttered as, you know, how? How have you loved us? That's like sort of a mocking response. Look at the circumstances we're in. How have you loved us? Prove your love. How quickly we forget the gospel, how quickly our focus falls from the reality of God's grace and the ways in which God has loved us uh, to the storms of life in which we live. So let today be the day. Let this week be the week. Let this be the season, um, not only when we give thanks for the circumstantial goodness of life, for the blessings we can count. But let it be um, the time when we acknowledge that no matter the circumstances in which we live, I'm thinking here about Paul uh, talking about the secret of being content in all circumstances, whether he was hungry or, um, or well-fed, whether in prison or in not. The, the reality is, the affirmation is, the truth is, God has loved us. God loved us before the foundations of the world when he conceived of us in his great imagination. God loved us when we were yet sinners and he sent Christ to die for us. God loved us when Jesus cried out to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, isn't there some other way? This is the gospel universe that God designed. This is the gospel universe that God knew he would have to make a personal sacrifice in order to redeem. God has loved us. Let us not be quick to forget that, that truest, that most true of true statements. God has loved us, and we are his. We'll be right back. Indeed, God is on the move. Um, I want you to be looking around today for evidence that God is on the move. So uh, there are opportunities that we, we have here periodically on the show to lift up really like cool, extraordinary things that are happening in our own communities and around the world where we can actually like see that God is on the move. Sometimes those stories are very personal. We talk about uh, the redemption of an individual, the way that a life is now shining really brightly um, for Jesus. And I'm going to, I'm just going to say that when I continue to see what is happening through the public testimony of Kanye West. Um, this weekend, not only the Sunday service that was held um, at the, the very large Lakewood Church, 
But also, don't miss that Kanye um, went to the Harris County Jail to have a Sunday service with the inmates who would not be able to attend, would not be able to leave that facility in order to gather together at the Sunday service at Lakewood Church in Houston. Um, don't don't miss what God is doing. And um, and again, I'm not lifting up Kanye West as as some you know some sort of new idol. I, I, please don't hear me say that. Please hear me say. When God is moving in the life of an individual and then God is moving that individual to move the culture in a positive direction, let us be people who celebrate that. Let us be people who fan the flame of whatever it is the Holy Spirit is doing. Um, I am not a very good predictor of the the ways in which God uh, intends to move. Here's what I know. God is on the move. God is on the move. And as we look around the culture, we often see signs of distress and depression and decay and uh, disorientation and dislocation and all the disses, right? Let us also be people who who see those places where God is on the move and celebrate them, even if we don't understand it, actually, particularly if we don't understand it, particularly if it's happening in ways that are of great surprise and delight. So a few weeks ago, we talked about Kingdom Unleashed. Um, if you missed that conversation, I would encourage you uh, to to check it out. Kingdom Unleashed is not only a book, it's it's the reality that around the globe today, God is on the move. Millions of people are coming to Christ. The the, the fastest growing church in the world is in a closed country, a, a country that's closed to the gospel. So how's the gospel getting in there when missionaries aren't getting in there? Well, God is on the move. God can use dreams and visions in the same way that he used them in the life of Daniel. He can use them today. God is on the move. Let us let us not miss that. So Kingdom Unleashed is something you want to check out. Something else I just learned about this past week, it's called Global Media Outreach. Global Media Outreach is actually using um, uh, technology. So, you know, the, the question that somebody in, in a closed country types into their phone, all right? Everybody's got a phone now. People don't have anything else. They don't have food to eat, but they got a phone. So they're typing into their smartphone, um, can Jesus love a Hindu? Or can God, does God love Hindus? Does God love Muslims? Does God love, I mean, just does God love, who is God? These most simple questions that people are asking around the globe, you can actually know what those questions are because Google will tell you. And so then if you build a very, very simple website um, and then you do all of the uh, SEO, which is that search engine optimization that's necessary to be sure that where people go, uh, the answer that they get is the answer that you are giving, which is the biblical answer, the gospel answer, the redemptive answer. If you can, if you can use the internet to actually get the gospel answer, the right answer, the righteous answer into onto the phone and then into the heart and the mind of the person asking the question in a closed country, imagine the impact. Well, that was the vision of global media outreach. You should check it out. Global media outreach um, is having gospel conversations through a through a network of very, 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 very simple websites that are just designed to answer one question at a time. So um, they are reaching millions of people with the gospel in places that missionaries cannot go. Think about that for just a moment. That is, that's incredible. They have a vision to now reach the United States of America to answer the questions that people are um, asking. They are asking their phone, but they're not asking their neighbor. They're asking their phone, but they're not asking a pastor. They're asking their phone. So they're asking Google. And so is Google going to come up with the right answer? Well, only if Christians are putting the right answers up there in ways that that your smartphone is going to find. Right. OK. So when we come back, I'm going to talk. I'm going to lift up one of those questions and then um, the vision of an answer. 
Uh, a couple other places where I've seen God on the move lately and ones you can jump into. Check out what Samaritan's Purse is doing with Operation Christmas uh, Child. You, got, you, you see the gift boxes. There's tons of good stories right now out there about the way that those boxes are not only impacting the lives of individuals, but transforming entire communities. So let's not miss out on that. Um, Faith Comes by Hearing is another one that I just really think is, is a ministry through which right now God is just really moving powerfully. So lots of good news stories out there. Let's be sure that we goss up and tell those as well. Got to take one more quick break and then we'll be right back. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Um, This is not just a knowledge that we have because the Bible has told us so. This is a knowledge that we know because Jesus knelt in the garden and in love submitted to the will of the Father that that while we were yet sinners, he would die for us. Jesus loves me. I want you to say that to yourself. Jesus loves me. I will uh <clears throat> I will never forget the day that um a gentleman named Robert was asking that question in a really deep uh a really deep place. This guy was uh, successful by every cultural measure of uh, of success. He lived with what you and I would describe as like a culturally perfect family. You know, in a big house, he had a great job. Um he supplied well for not only their needs but you know, pretty much they could do whatever they wanted to do whenever they wanted to do it. They gave generously to others. Both Robert and his wife were considered, you know, pillars of our community. Their children were well-behaved and good students and high achievers, like right, all of the marks of of success. Um, He was a leader in his church, and his church was on the other end of the county um, where uh, where I lived. But we knew one another from Rotary, uh, we were both in Rotary on Thursdays at noon. This is this is now a long time ago. This con- this conversation that I had with Robert dates back to the late 1990s. He was um, uh, he was not a person who uh, I would have expected to call me out of the blue for anything. And so when he called and asked if he could uh, come to my office and and have a conversation the next morning, I you know I said sure, absolutely. And so at the appointed time, I saw I saw him pull into the church parking lot, and then he just sat there in his in the cab of his truck, and um, he sat there for a long time, and his hands never left the top of the steering wheel. And you know when you have sat there in your car, and you have you knew that you needed to go into wherever it was and have whatever conversation it was that you knew you needed to go in and have, but you couldn't. Like right, you're frozen, and your hands are like frozen on the steering wheel. You you have sat there. I have sat there. I have felt that. So I knew. Um, that whatever was going on with Robert was um, substantive. And so I just prayed for him. He sat there for probably 15 minutes gripping that steering wheel, not and p- kind of paralyzed, like not getting out of the truck. And so I just sat in my office and prayed for him. And uh, finally, he uh, he opened the door of the truck and unfolded his six-foot-plus frame and and started walking toward the door and i you know i could see him making that and he was he was walking in what i would describe as a deliberate but defeated manner that that's just my best way of describing what he looked like as he walked across the parking lot and uh and he kind of looked around briefly almost like just to be sure that nobody saw him there which is weird anyway i mean i think it's weird i i don't look around like that and wonder that very much but i'm also not living under the burden of this kind of sin guilt 
And so, which I didn't know at the time. And so he, um, he made his way uh, to my office and avoided, you know, any, any human contact along the way. And he came in and he just, um, he just kind of melted into the first chair uh, that, that he found and just started crying. And, um, and then finally he said some words that were audible and, and they were, I miss her. I miss her so much. I know it makes no sense, but I miss her so much. And I finally got the courage to ask who, who is she? And that's when the dam broke. My daughter, my first child, we weren't ready to have kids. We were just kids ourselves. Everyone told us that it, it wasn't a big deal. Um, he said, there's not a day that, I, that goes by that I don't think about her. We named her Sarah, but no one else knows. No one else knows. No one else knows. I can't visit her grave. No one else knows. What poured out of this father's heart for his aborted daughter changed my understanding of trauma and post-abortive stress and just how much this particular sin, this particular grief, weighs on the hearts and minds of lives of not just women, but men. And there have been a number of recent stories related to men, post-abortive men, men dealing with the trauma of these lost children. And so just a few weeks ago, I mean, maybe it's a couple months ago now, when, when in the state of Indiana, these thousands of fetal remains were, were discovered, um, this monstrous quote-unquote doctor who performed more than 50,000 abortions during his career in South Bend, Indiana, um, you know, had kept thousands of these babies in, uh, in the trunk of a car and in a storage unit. And so now we have all of these aborted children, aborted 20 years ago now. Um, and Robert flashed to my mind. Robert would have a place to bear his grief if he were able to stand at a grave and inter one of these babies. He can't inter Sarah. Um, that, is not, that is not possible at this point. But I had this vision of this National Children's Cemetery, maybe in Indiana. Um, you know, and in the, in the first children buried there are these children, these discovered remains. And I see Robert and thousands of people like him um, with a place, with a place where they could stand and rest their grief. Um, it's just a vision. I don't even know what to do with it, but I felt compelled to share it. And if this is the kind of vision that you might share, um, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me, Carmen, at MyFaithRadio.com. Um, and you can, you can share your own story. You can unburden your own grief. Um, if you share this vision of a national cemetery for uh, a national children's cemetery for those uh, we have aborted, um, maybe you could help me figure out how to bring this vision into reality. All right, we're going to take another, another break, and when we come back, I'll be talking with Dr. David Aikman about some international headlines.
So uh, if you're following any of the news related to Hong Kong, you are going to know that after nearly six months of escalating protests, um, Hong Kong is, in a word, a mess. Um, Its economy is in recession. Its roads and rails are blocked. Um, There is no end in sight. There is a protest movement, um, but it's important to note that this protest movement does not have any identifiable leadership. There's not like a coordinating committee. There's no one um, really that you could talk with in terms of, well, how could we support you in support of the protesters? Um, And then there is the challenge of making China mad and losing um, losing an incredible economic market should, let's say, the United States actually align itself with the protesters. So that's the conversation that is going on. But when we talk about altruistic, self-sacrificing efforts for people to determine their own future, for people to live free and refuse to surrender it, um, I think we're talking about people in these protesters in Hong Kong who we have to find a way to support. So that conversation's up next with David Aikman. Even the most calm and collected people get angry sometimes. But with some teens, it seems like the smallest thing can ignite a firestorm. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When it comes to teens, anger is usually an emotional response when they don't get something they want or when they lose something they once held dear. And I'm not talking about cars or laptops, but deep felt emotional needs. So if your teen is constantly popping off with anger, don't get distracted by the behavior. With love and patience, try to uncover what's causing it. Most teens can't really identify the source of their anger. But once you get to the root cause, you'll have the tools you need to help him get to a better place. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. My name is Bond, James Bond. So David Aikman is back. He's the editor of Godspeed magazine. He has a global perspective on things that uh, I enjoy bringing to bear each Monday morning. Dr. Aikman, welcome back. Armin, thank you for having me on. So we are going to start with Hong Kong, although there are a number of hotspots around the world where we could focus our attention today. But it seems as if um, we have reached the point uh, in terms of the protests in Hong Kong where not only have the protests turned very violent, um, but efforts to push back against the protesters are now also equally violent. Um, There's language like a steady path of radicalization, um, we are seeing military movement potentially um, against protesters. And I think that the question that we, we we must start asking, and it will be an interesting question to ask you, um, me, an American, asking you, uh, you know, a, a representative of the crown, um, is there ever is there ever a time um, where rebellion is the Christian answer? I think that as a Christian, that's the question I'm now asking. I know that as an American, I know that as a person who loves freedom and wants to advocate for freedom and democracy around the globe, I know that I'm on the side of the protesters. Like, I know that. I'm trying to, right. I'm trying to ask the, the question about 
rebellion. And I'm doing so as a citizen of a country that, you know, that got frustrated and eventually, uh, you know, took action against those uh, who took action against them. Like, right, depending on how you how you view the beginning of the American, what we call revolution. Right. Well, I, I think there's, there's always an argument about when, if ever, rebellion against the designated leader uh, is justified, because people can point to examples in the Old Testament of uh, people, uh, kings and usurpers, for example, Jehu, who got rid of the the whole of Ahab's family and got got rid of Jezebel. He was basically approved of by the priestly class who thought that he was doing an absolutely righteous thing. So you can always have biblically-based arguments for uh, revolt against injustice. Um, so I'm not sure whether the, the issue of the crown really comes in with it. I mean, uh, England had its, you know, its own civil war in 1642 when the parliamentary uh, majority voted, not, not only voted, but took up arms against King Charles I and eventually won that conflict. And at that time, there were people who were saying, oh, well, the divine right of King Charles to rule should prevail over any discontent with his policies. But the, the Puritan majority in the, in the Houses of Parliament backed uh, open revolt, and it, it led to a, a a really major civil war, the only civil war that England has had, basically. Well, and the reason I make the connection is because I feel like generationally the people of Hong Kong, um, you know, they lived they lived long enough under British rule that they know what freedom feels like and smells like and tastes like. And they are looking, and particularly these young protesters, 2047 is just not that far away. And 2047 is the date on the calendar when they become Chinese in every way, completely under Chinese rule. And so if there is a time for them to say, nope, we are going to live as free people or we are not going to live, it seems as if they have reached that point. I think that's absolutely true. And even though the protesters have become more violent in several ways, using Molotov cocktails and even igniting in flames a counter-protester who pro-Beijing. It seems that polls show that the majority of the Hong Kongers still support the student protests. So the, the fact that there has been violence has not diminished the support. And so I think that doesn't bode too well for what will happen in the future. I think there's going to be a very, very thorough crackdown I mean, for example, this this last weekend, the uh, occupation of um, Hong Kong Polytechnic University, whose site is right on overlooking the Cross Harbor uh, Tunnel, and the fact that the access to the tunnel was actually um, obstructed by the protests made a lot of people in Hong Kong really kind of annoyed with what was going on. But whether or not there is a, a complete withdrawal of support from the protesters, I think is unlikely, unlikely because 
the issues are going to stay the same um, as we approach uh, 2047. All right, I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. David Aikman, uh, editor of Godspeed magazine. Uh, I I expect us to continue to be talking about Hong Kong uh, week in and week out. Um, I will take note for those of you who are on Twitter, if you want to be following Travis Wusso, um, he is one of the policy directors for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Church. He is currently in Hong Kong with a team meeting with Christians on the ground. Um, and so if you want to follow Travis Wusso on Twitter, you can get some live updates in terms of the conversations they are having um, right now. Okay, uh, David, let's take a brief break. And when we come back, um, we've got a, a list of other hotspots. Let's turn our attention to Israel when we come back. I'm talking with Dr. David Aikman from Godspeed Magazine. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll continue our conversation here on Mornings with Carmen. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. So as the uh, sun rises in some places here in the United States of America, um, it, the sun is uh, the sun is beginning to set in other places around the world, and it keeps me ever mindful um, that even as we enter into a day, others are halfway through it or almost all the way through it. And so it's always interesting to me, David, that when you and I talk, like you've already lived half the day that I'm about to live. <laughs> well, that's true, but you probably got even more done than I have got done. So uh, we each struggle in different time zones to keep up with the demands of our work. But so as we talk about what's happening around the globe, I am I am mindful that although we think of it as sometimes so big, it's really quite small. And so thank you for um, helping us focus in on particular places and the concerns of people in particular places. Um, I have not talked about what's going on in Israel in the last uh, several days. So why don't you bring people up to speed? Well, first of all, the Israeli government is on hold since the last elections because neither uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu nor his opponent, Benny Gantz, was able to form thus far a coalition government that had sufficient number of seats to govern the country through the Knesset. So that's still up in the air, added to which uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu is in danger of being indicted on corruption charges. And his political opponents say that um, taking out this um, leader of Abu, Abu Jihad in Gaza militarily was an attempt to divide, uh, to divert attention from the prime minister's own political difficulties. It's very hard to say, but Israel is not in a good place domestically in terms of its political situation. And I doubt whether we will see um, a new government form within a matter of days. It may take much longer than that. And then, uh, you know, we certainly have this this ongoing crisis, um, hot, hot crisis related to uh, Gaza and those who live there. And this is now, you know, it's it's lethal. Um, and I think that the ongoing conversations that people will be having um, related to the legitimacy of um, 
of Israel's claim to the land, the challenge that goes back and forth when you have genuine terrorists uh, living on your border and when people are are seeking to bomb you out of existence and push you into the sea. And so I think that um, what are sometimes cooler conversations right now are red hot conversations. And it's always interesting to me, David, the the variety of viewpoints that Christians have um, on on Israel. Well, that's true. Although I think for the most part, most American Christians believe that Israel's essential position, its legitimacy as a state, um, should triumph over any uh, worries about mistreatment of Palestinians. So I think the solid support for Israel's basic political position. But there are always um, complaints about governance by Israel, particularly of the Palestinians that it is able to control. And, of course, the Israeli opposition, particularly newspapers like Haaretz and Yediot Achronot, are always willing to point out mistakes in Israeli government action. For example, the recent assassination of the al-Jihad leader was um, complained about by the media because they argue that uh, not enough attention had been paid to the position of where he, the situation, the location of where he lived, and not enough consideration was given to the fact that several of his family members and possibly other civilians would be killed if that attack took place, which it did, and the word death, and that has raised a lot of issues. But I think it proves that on the whole, uh, the Israeli political system is alert to the weaknesses of its government and is responsive to very reasonable concerns about the treatment of uh, the minorities it controls. So, David, we probably have time to talk about one other um, storyline. I know we have um, we have news out of Iran uh, related to massive protests there uh, following a 50 percent uh, gas tax hike, um, which would be crazy uh, for any of us to endure. Um, but we also have big stories in both Bolivia and Chile. So where would you like to go next? I like to go to Bolivia because uh, Evo Morales, the former president, is now on his way to Mexico on a political asylum. And he was uh, really forced to leave because of protests against the recent election, which even the Organization of American States, um, a Hispanic American organization, decided had been full of injustices. And he was the first indigenous president of uh, Bolivia, and he had massive support at the grassroots by uh, the indigenous people who mostly do um, the sort of manual labor, but uh, fierce opposition from the middle class, and particularly the evangelical conservatives who considered that what he was doing to Libya was uh, potentially an infringement of their religious freedom. So that brought in evangelical considerations to the equation. 
So when we talk about um, Bolivia um, and when we talk about actually other uh, other places where governments, you know, governments rise and fall, I think that it is it's important for us to recognize that. I think, David, that we tend to think that the only places where governments rise and fall are Africa and uh, and then periodically, uh, you know, in Eastern Europe. I don't think we consider um, how often governments rise and fall um, in, well, in places like South America. Give us a little bit of perspective yeah. just in terms of of the times and places that you have witnessed governments rising and falling. Well, I mean, I think the Middle East is always a situation, a, a hotspot, and over decades that has not changed. I mean, governments have risen and fallen in Egypt, um, currently in Syria, of course, in Iraq. Iran, the Iranian government has not fallen since the Islamists came to power in 1979. But it is under direct threat, and you mentioned uh, specific complaints about a rise in food prices. Uh, there's no doubt that Iran's domestic political situation is very unstable and that the government of the mullahs is essentially extremely unpopular. Um, you may remember yesterday was International uh, Prayer for Religious Freedom Day, uh, prayer for the persecuted church. And I think that was uh, announced in many evangelical churches in the United States. And the pastor of the church, the Protestant church that I go to in Bray, was wearing a wonderful T-shirt with the emblem in Arabic of the, the letter N for Nazarene, which is the label that the Muslim authorities in Iran put on the door of all people who were acknowledged to be Christians, therefore sort of focusing on them as potential enemies of the regime. So we are always reminded of how religious believers face very great danger in many parts of the world, particularly in the Middle East or in places like Eritrea in Africa. You always have to watch out what's going on and keep a lively protest against government persecution. Hmm. David, thank you, uh, as always, so very much. We actually started this hour with a conversation about the uh, the in increased surveillance using um, facial scanning technology and fingerprinting of Chinese Christians at their churches. And so you have brought us full circle in this hour. Uh, indeed, let us be praying for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world and people of all faith varieties in places where they find themselves to be the minority faith. David Aikman, thank you so very much. Uh, we appreciate your being with us. Thank you. Thank we'll you. take one more quick break, and then we'll be, we'll be back. Okay, so for those of you asking what's going on in Iran, um, so Iran hiked the price of gas. Remember, it, you know, Iran is oil rich. They hiked the price of gas more than 50% in order that they could pay for benefits. Uh, for, for the poorest citizens. So let's just be praying for the entire situation and the crippled economy there. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. 
That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.